This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express Card. And we here on Savor are what you might call food explorers. It has been our actual job to go to cool places and eat, like, a lot of the food there. And then talk about it. And then talk about it into these microphones, which is a crazy dream job. Yes. Well, if you're like us and willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people like us who are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we're talking about spam. Spam. And not the email kind, although briefly. Yeah, just a little bit about that, but mostly the the canned meat product. Which you probably knew because you're listening to a podcast about food. Probably. I don't know. We could go real AWOL with our with our topics. <laughs> we could, and I kind of want to one day. <laughs> I think we'd get a lot of angry emails, though. I think we would. Um, but so uh, Stuff You Missed in History class already has a whole epic episode about this. They um, do. If you would like to hear their take on it, and I suspect that you would, you can go listen. Yes. Um, what are What are your thoughts, experiences with spam, Lauren? Um, I didn't grow up, like like no one in my family served it to me growing up, but I had a friend um, in college who would, would serve it like like slice, slices of it fried and then stirred into like mac and cheese or something like that. And it's like salty and delicious. <laughs> For her, it was a nostalgia thing. Uh-huh. Yeah. I get that. I, I get the feeling nostalgia is very much involved in a lot of... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, hugely. Yeah, because, uh, because, okay, so, so what about you though? Um, I'm not sure I've ever had it. I, I know I took my little brother to a restaurant in San Francisco called Liho Liho Yacht Club, which has a lot of spam items on the menu. So I might have had it, but I've never knowingly had it. Yeah. You've never gone like, oh man, what I am doing right now is eating spam. Exactly. Yes. So what is spam? 
Oh, that's a great question. Isn't it? <laughs> Spam is a canned luncheon meat product. Luncheon meat is the legal term for a cured cooked meat food product oh. uh, that consists of comminuted meat plus some reasonable portion of flavorings, preservatives, and binding agents all mixed together and molded into a loaf for slicing and serving. A loaf? A loaf, yes. Uh, comminuted, by the way, means like pulverized, as in reduced to fragments. And in the case of Spam, that luncheon meat is made up of... It's a mixture of things of pork meats, modified potato starch, salt, sugar, water, and sodium nitrate for color. Yeah, sodium nitrate is what gives some preserved meats their distinctive pink color. It's also in there for preservation. Spam is shelf-stable. No refrigeration is required as long as the can is sealed. And that can can last years past its best-by date and, like, technically indefinitely. So in the apocalypse... Zombies are about, uh-huh. I'm Spam searching is, for food. Yeah, Spam, it says. Many years date past, but it I'll might, just disregard. It might taste a little bit off, but, <laughs> but I'll never know. But you'll never, never know. Had it. Yeah. Hormel <laughs> says that Spam is like meat with a pause button. Oh, that's kind of creative. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> the recipe for Spam has remained pretty much unchanged since its inception, apart from the addition of that potato starch in 2009 to keep a layer of gelatin from forming on the top when you cook it. Mm-hmm. Just someone who's never had it or seen it, that is so fascinating to me. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The name itself stands for Scientifically Processed Animal Matter. Or perhaps that is just a fun myth. It probably is. Um, because Hormel, the person, not the company, but the company named after Hormel. Anyway, he claims it was a combination of spice and ham, the result of a naming contest with a $100 reward. All of these naming contests. I know. I love it. Okay. I haven't heard about any of these. I'd, I'd get in on that. <laughs> the prize winner is said to have been an actor by the name of Kenneth Dagnall, whose brother was once a vice president at Hormel. Hmm. So some nepotism, maybe. Okay. Because at the time, that $100 would have been equivalent to about $1,500. That's nothing oh, to sneeze at. No, certainly not. You can now get Spam of the oven-roasted turkey variety, Spam hot and spicy, Spam light with 50% less fat, Spam with bacon, all right, Spam teriyaki, Spam jalapeno, and Spam spread for all your spreading Spam needs. <laughs> Tongue twisters! Perfect. <laughs> There are two facilities in the U.S. that produce the stuff. Austin, Minnesota, not Texas, and Fremont, Nebraska. And that's it. It is a distinctly and very recognizably American brand slash product. Yes. Uh, Nutrition-wise, Spam is high in protein and low in carbs, but it's also really high in saturated fats. It's almost 80% fat. Ooh. Um... Just a two-ounce serving has about a quarter of your daily recommended intake of fat for a 2,000-calorie-per-day average diet. It's also really high in salt, so if you need to watch those things, I would say to treat Spam as a treat. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, though, hey, if you've ever heard that lunch meats and other preserved meats and even preserved cheeses like American cheese are bad for you because they contain these antimicrobial preservatives like sodium nitrate or sodium nitrite, well, that's... Not actually generally why preserved meats are bad for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, see above, read the salt and fat content. Uh, but uh, studies show that nitrates and nitrites can form other compounds in the body, some of which can cause cancer. But nitrates are common in many leafy greens, 
and our water supply, and even in our own bodies. And they might be helpful in preventing heart disease. And you can help prevent them from forming those carcinogenic compounds by eating vitamin C along with them, which is why the USDA requires processed meats that use them also include vitamin C in their recipes. Oh, really? And laws in most places prevent very much of them from being used in the first place. So, I mean, like, yeah, like, don't go crazy with the cheese whiz, but, you know, don't worry too much about nitrates or nitrites. Noted. There are two bottles of cheese whiz in our office kitchen. Are there? Why? <laughs> I thought I thought you brought them. Oh, I always oh, assume oh. it's you. <laughs> oh, the spray cheese. No, 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 no. What I'm talking about when I talk about cheese whiz, I talk about um the 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 canned stuff, the jars. There's, so there's a difference between spray cheese and canned cheese. Oh, absolutely. I you have so much to teach me, Lauren. <laughs> I cannot wait to do an episode <laughs> on fake cheese. You have been talking about that for a while, so we, we should get to oh, that one. Okay, all right. Maybe it's going into our into our list today. All right, yes. we'll find out. Anyway, <laughs> since it came onto the food scene in 1937, courtesy of the Hormel Corporation, more than eight billion cans have been sold. While it is an American icon, and I saw it described that way in several articles, I'm not coining that term, it's available in 44 countries around the world. And Hormel licenses the name and recipe to other producers outside of the United States. As of 2017, they estimated that 12.8 cans of Spam are consumed every second across the planet. Every second? Whew. It's fairly cheap, which means during times of economic difficulty, Spam sees an uptick in sales. In the 2008 recession, this equated to a 10% increase in sales. In the U.S., probably no surprise, Hawaii tops the list in spam consumption with an average three pounds per person a year or seven million cans a year for an island with a population of 1.42 million. So you can do some math there if you would like. Uh, McDonald's menus in Hawaii have spam-based products for our McDonald's fact of the episode. (laughs) Yes. And speaking of Hawaii, some of the most uh, famous or infamous spam dishes definitely come out of that state. For example, spam musubi. Spam musubi. Okay. Musubi is another word for onigiri. Um, they're balls of seasoned sushi rice that are packed solid enough to be a handheld snack, like sort of like a sandwich, and they originated in Japan. They can be seasoned with just rice vinegar and salt or with all manner of savory stuff like sesame seeds or dried fish flakes, and they are frequently wrapped in dried seaweed or a shiso leaf to make them less messy to handle. You know, you're not touching the sticky rice all on its own. They're often filled with something like cooked salmon or a pickled plum, and Hawaii's large Japanese population led to the creation of Spam Musubi, a rectangle of plain seasoned rice with a slice of crispy Spam pan fried with soy sauce and a little bit of sugar, then uh, wrapped in or perhaps topped with seaweed, served hot or room temperature or cold. Mm-hmm. It's sort of like pizza, I, I gather. <laughs> you can have it any way you want and everyone loves it. Um, in Hawaii, they are made both at home. Um, there's a market for Spam Musubi presses mm-hmm. to, to help you shape them. And uh, and they're also sold basically everywhere that sells fresh snacks. Like every convenience yes. store in Hawaii apparently has them. Yes. We had a listener, Maureen, who wrote in about the wide availability of this and some of the other things we're going to talk about. Yeah. Okay. So if you're going to make yourself a quick breakfast, you wouldn't do yourself wrong with the Filipino spamsalog. And apologies, uh, my, my Tagalog is really terrible. So, um, so if I'm mispronouncing everything, write in and tell me that I'm a bad person. It's okay. No, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I 
don't know if y'all could hear that, but that was producer Dylan being like terrified for me. I don't. Okay, don't don't write it and tell me that I'm a terrible person. But but uh, you know, you feel free to correct me gently. I I, yes, I won't I won't be offended. That's acceptable. If you have a if you want to send in a voice. Anyway, okay. So so uh, spam salog is a portmanteau for um, a a dish of garlic fried rice, which is um, sinangag, and a fried egg, uh, a putong itlog, served with slices of pan-fried spam, frequently with a fresh tomato or cucumber on the side. So yeah, garlic fried rice, spam slices, fried. Fried egg. Sounds Mm -hmm. great. Does. Um, So does this other one. Yeah. um, Okay, so loco moco. This is this is another comfort uh, food breakfast or lunch or dinner uh, that is a Hawaiian tradition. It's sticky rice topped with a meat and a fried egg and then covered in gravy. And it sounds so good. It um, does. The, the meat is traditionally a fried ground beef patty, um, perhaps with some spam mixed in. But because it's Hawaii, it's also often made just with spam. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of these are popular in both diners and are made at home. I am so determined to find this. Yes. Or make it. But I feel like I've had trouble with sticky rice in the past. But I'm willing to give it another try. Yes. I can help with the sticky rice part. Okay, so with our powers combined, we can make a tasty locomotive. Hopefully. Okay. Uh, There are, of course, multiple spam festivals. There are. Of course there are. (laughs) There's the Spam Jam in Waikiki with uh, music and tastings from local restaurants and all kinds of anthropomorphic costumed spam characters that you can get your photo taken with. Uh, there's another spam jam in Austin, Minnesota, the <laughs> birthplace of spam, where there's also a spam museum across the river from the main plant where former factory workers are spam ambassadors for visitors. <laughs> we will be talking a bit more about that town um, in a minute, but I've got a lot of questions. Just, I'm just curious, like, is the whole town... Spam? I, listeners, please send pictures if you have them. Yeah, it sounds very intense. I, it does. From, from what I understand, like the, like the business of the town is this Hormel factory. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, there's also a, uh, another spam festival in, um, Islaton, Islaton? Isleton, California. I'm so sorry, humans. <laughs> um, but they've got a Spamly Cup cooking competition. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. The puns keep rolling in. And, and then, of course, an annual, uh, there, there are annual spam carving slash sculpting contests in a few places with a particularly large one in Seattle. Oh, man. Let us, if you've been, send photos. Please. 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 Speaking of uh, spam fandom, spamdom. Oh, mm. yeah. <laughs> uh, there's an English fellow who legally got his name, his middle name changed to I Love Spam. <laughs> his name, therefore, is Mark I Love Spam Benson. He he got the Queen's permission. He got it, the Queen's permission? It's on his passport and everything. I mean, did he go up to the Queen and said, Your Majesty? I didn't hear what the process was. <laughs> But in 2017, he and his wife were married in the Spam Museum in Austin, Minnesota. <laughs> she she said, when his obsession came to light, I had already fallen in love with him. Oh, Hormel financially helped the, com- the couple make this whole dream come true and then sent them to the Spam Jam in Waikiki for their honeymoon. Well, that's lovely. <laughs> I'm trying to think of like instances where this middle name thing is going to throw a wrench in some kind of situation. But I hope not. I all the best uh, yeah. for you. Right. 
I mean, what are, what are his initials now? M-I-L-S-B? Or is it M-I-B? <gasps> Men in Black. Okay, I need to focus. I need to refocus. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Spam. Yes. Um, a 1945 New Yorker piece on Jay Hormel came with this quote from the author. I got the distinct impression that being responsible for spam might be too great a burden on any one man. Huh. Yeah. Hormel allegedly went back and forth between distancing himself and the company from spam and then rushing to its defense. He huh. couldn't decide what his thoughts were where on his, this product. Where his heart lay or lied. Oh, I'm doing great today. Um, yeah. Uh, and okay. This is clearly a very nostalgic food for a lot of people. We'll, we'll get into that in a minute. We're also going to get into some, some really upsetting stuff. So that's all great. Yeah. Yeah. But in the meantime, yeah. Let's pause for a quick break forward from our sponsor. Yay. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressings, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express Card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, another thing from their passion fruit I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. Going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, I wanted to start out. It's not related directly to spam, but in 1813, 
New technology for preserving food by canning was commercialized in England, and one of the first products canned was meat to be sent to the British Navy. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. If we look at Spam's history in particular, in 1891, a fellow named George A. Hormel, uh huh, that Hormel, laid the foundation for his first combination meatpacking facility and slaughterhouse in a small town under 12 square miles called Austin, Minnesota. He got his start working in a Chicago slaughterhouse, but he wanted to set out and do his own thing. A decade later, in 1901, George A. Hormel & Co. was officially incorporated, making beef, sausage casings, and whole hogs. And and Hormel continued working the butchery line himself, splitting the first 100,000 pig carcasses, which Ooh. is apparently one of the more difficult parts of the process. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> <laughs> and back to Austin, Minnesota, for a minute. Um, it would go on to be known as Spam Town, USA, complete with Spam Boulevard, the Spam Museum, as we've mentioned, and a restaurant called Johnny's Spamarema. Um, and pl- yes, please, we can't reiterate enough. We need to see evidence of this, listeners. You've, you've got to send us pictures. Anyway, back to <laughs> Hormel. Um, after fighting in World War One, Jay Hormel took over as president of the company in his father's stead in 1929. Jay Hormel wanted to come up with a product that was essentially the home version of canned lunch meats you'd order from deli counters. There is no one person we can point to from Hormel as the inventor of Spam, but we can point to an employee by the name of Julius Zilgit, um, and he did the first test with the 12-ounce can. Along with his team, he figured out that canning the meat in a vacuum kept the product from getting all sweaty, Mm -hmm. which is not a thing you want. Nope, not at all. No. At the time, it was the height of the Great Depression, and the idea was to find a way to use an otherwise unsellable cut of meat, the pork shoulder. The pork in the first iterations of Spam were this cut. Generally still are today. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, over the next few years, there was this rising discontent in the Hormel factory, which came to a head when Jay tried to enforce a 20 cent per week employee contribution to this company-wide insurance fund, which the company would also pay into, like at five times that amount, which sounds great until you get to the enforce part. The already frustrated and underpaid employees organized a union and then a strike in 1933, they shut down plant operations and even the refrigeration system, like millions of dollars worth of meat were on the line. Uh-huh. Um, the situation was resolved without even having to call in state-hired militia, which was on the table. And over the next couple of years, Jay Hormel got back in good with his employees by offering all these really progressive salary wage systems and profit sharing and merit pay, all leading to pretty good financial success for the company and also him being called a red capitalist by Fortune magazine. <laughs> My brain is like, compliment? Insult? Insult. <laughs> Communism. <laughs> oh, okay, I see. Yeah. Because of the red. Yeah. All right. On July 5th, 1937, Spam hit the grocery store shelves. The name was trademarked earlier that same year, and one of their first slogans was, Cold a hot, Spam hits the spot. Love very, it. Very crisp. <laughs> yes. <laughs> By the 1930s, people were familiar with canned meats that didn't need refrigeration. But it was World War II that really catapulted Spam to the public eye, though not necessarily in a good way. Um, when it was one of the brands of canned meats the U.S. military purchased and shipped to the soldiers overseas, both American and Allied forces, to the tune of 100 million pounds. Or maybe 100 million cans. 
Yeah. History. History. According to our very own website, How Stuff Works, not too many soldiers actually were eating the real thing. Really spam. More likely they were eating meat the government provided to Hormel and other companies for canning, which just seems unfair to spam in a weird way. But, you know, um, in 1940, one of the first singing ads was for spam. And that keep up with the singing is a marketing tactic. After the war, there was a whole radio show called Music with the Hormel Girls. Oh, I'm sure it was a delight. <laughs> um, but the soldiers weren't exactly thrilled with spam. Uh, to be fair, they were sometimes eating it three meals a day, mm-hmm. and that's a lot of any kind of food to not get a bit tired of it. I would agree. Yes. Hormel kept a scurrilous file of hate mail the company received from American soldiers. Some of their opinions... Meatloaf without basic training. <laughs> Ham that didn't pass its physical. And the real reason war was hell. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah. Strong, strong words. This is one of the reasons he said it was a lot of responsibility for one man. Ah. It's this hate mail he mm-hmm. was receiving. Margaret Thatcher, though, apparently called it a wartime delicacy. <laughs> I don't know. About oh, that, that one. Thatcher. Oh, Thatcher. Mm. Since spam had a long shelf life and could survive pretty much Anything, though weather threw at it, it made its way to islands that might have trouble otherwise importing food during the war, like England or the Asian Pacific and Hawaii. As the war ended and soldiers returned, they were not about eating any more spam. Nope. Starting with the 60s, spam transitioned from the main source of protein to kind of a supporting act, like a sandwich component or with eggs. Mm -hmm. A recipe from the 60s included spam upside down pie. Oh, my brain was trying to imagine that as I was saying it, and it was not good. Not good. But this wasn't the case everywhere. No, the Asian Pacific and Hawaii experienced the opposite as spam rose in popularity after the war. This was in part because of sanctions the U.S. government put on fishing industries that were largely owned by Japanese Americans. Ah, With fish off the menu, Hawaiians turned to spam. For starving Japanese and Koreans... Spam included in aid packages could very well have been a lifesaver. During the Korean War, soldiers likely consumed something called army stew, which was a simmered broth of canned meats like spam and spices. To this day, Korea is spam's second largest market. It's even given as a gift during Lunar New Year. I, I, we didn't run across that in our Lunar no. New Year research, but uh, that's very, very interesting. Yes. Spam got a culinary boost as Koreans and Japanese immigrated to Hawaii after World War II and the fusion of cuisine's birth dishes like Lokomoko. The billionth can of Spam was sold in 1959. And that brings us to a pop culture phenomenon? What's a, what's a good word for it, Lauren? Paradigm shift? I'm not- <laughs> It's okay. So in 1970, Monty Python's Flying Circus debuted their spam sketch with Vikings in a cafe because Monty Python drowning out the customers and owners' voices with their song about spam. Lovely spam. Lovely spam. And the end credits for the episode include spam with every company member, including Spam Terry Jones and Terry Spam Sausage Spam Egg Spam Gilliam. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And this skit is pretty much where the term spam in context to email, comes from. Oh, really? Yeah, because, you know, it's the the spam email. It's omnipresent. It has no appreciable content. Uh, Yeah. It drowns out other voices. Okay, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. Um, Horbel is not really excited about this association. No. I think they they tried to 
find a way to legally do something about it? I don't know. I remember reading an article where they were pursuing solutions <laughs> of some yeah. sort. But Sorry about it, Hormel. Yeah. I, I mean, if it's any consolation, which I'm sure it's not, I don't think of, like... I don't associate the two. Yeah. Like, they mean such different things yeah. in my brain. That, yeah. That's just me, maybe. Yeah. And that brings us to 1985 and another strike at the Hormel plant in Austin, Minnesota. Over the 60s and 70s, employee satisfaction had been on the rise. Uh, but this article that I read about the, the 1933 strike ended this way. Most workers in the prospering Hormel company in the 1960s and 70s who remembered or read about the history of their union concluded that the hard times were behind them. They should be forgiven for entertaining that illusion. That does not sound good. Nope. By 1975, the company had fallen out of the Hormel family's hands, and the new leadership was not as great. Um, they they were using the promise of building this new state-of-the-art labor conditions improving plant to kind of let the union let them destroy worker benefits, especially oh. for the butchery end of the business. And Hormel enacted a 23% wage drop on top of that. Starting in August of 1985, the union workers walked out and stayed out for 13 months. Uh, National Guard had to be called in to protect workers who crossed the picket lines and to break up roadblocks. Wow. Eventually, the national union that had been supporting this local branch dropped them, thus effectively ending the strike. Uh, the company was able to hire people back at just a penny per hour more than that 23% wage drop rate and would begin hiring a lot of immigrants with perhaps less than scrupulously checked documentation who were willing to work for those lower wages. Uh, in 1987, Hormel leased off the butchery side of its Austin plant to a third-party company. Or a third party on paper, anyway. Oh. The new company was Quality Pork Processors Incorporated, which exclusively purchased Hormel-owned hogs and exclusively sold the processed meat back to Hormel, all using the space and the machines that currently belonged to Hormel and were housed in the same plant. Right. Um, this led to another year-long strike, but the union eventually settled. And as subcontractors, uh, QPP could hire a workforce at lower wages than those that Hormel had furnished to their unionized workers. In 1991, the first spam museum opened in Austin. Uh-huh. It would be revamped in 2001 and 2016. Oh, yeah. And in 1995, Spam sponsored a car in the NASCAR Winston Cup series. A couple of years later, in 1998, the Smithsonian received a Spam tin donation. During the recession in the 2000 aughts, Spam sales and production increased, with employees being offered as much overtime as they could handle. Spam, spam has been called an economic indicator, as we mentioned earlier, for its predictable increase in sales during rough financial times. Right. And this production increase led to a really tragic series of nerve damage-related disabilities in QPP butcher workers. This was actually sort of a landmark medical discovery. I, I remember reading about it during a previous gig, copy-editing medical journal articles. But yes, well, welcome again to Lauren's Killjoy Corner. Yay! Okay, so the way that large-scale pig butchering works is that different parts of the animal would be dealt with by skilled workers and or particular machinery in different rooms. All parts of the meat are separated from the bones for use. Everything on the pig is edible. The brain, which is uh, shipped to Asia for use as a thickening agent, 
used to be removed from the skull cavity with a, this high-pressure jet of water, which sort of liquefies the tissues so that it can be collected. Part of that liquid sort of aerosolizes due to the high pressure used in getting it out. And uh, the workers in that part of the factory, the, the, the head part, would breathe in a whole bunch of it. And more of it, more and more of it, as the line speed increased from handling 900 heads per hour in 1996 to 1,350 per hour in 2006. And, okay, when you when you breathe in foreign particles that your body is like, this doesn't belong here. Right. Um, your, your immune system, the workers' immune systems were doing what they were supposed to do. They, they were attacking the particles and remembering to attack similar particles later. Unfortunately, human nerve cells and pig nerve cells are similar enough that these workers started developing an autoimmune condition where their immune system was attacking their own nerves, causing eventual loss of fine motor skills and fatigue and other sometimes permanent symptoms. That's awful. Yeah, yeah, yep, it sucks. <laughs> uh, and QPP working, again, inside the Hormel facility, but without Hormel's better worker compensation and protection packages, did not really handle it well. Um, they did stop harvesting brains, but evidence collected for an expose in Mother Jones suggests that they silenced the injured workers by threatening their jobs or their immigration status. Whew. And then... Oh, boy, it keeps going, huh? It does. In 2015, QPP was embroiled in an animal cruelty scandal when a video of poor conditions on the killing floor was leaked, apparently by employees. Um, the Food Safety and Inspection Services administration also collected evidence that the space was not in compliance with federal regulations. However, neither the county nor the USDA took further action, and in 2017, a state court denied an advocacy group a search warrant of the QPP facilities on the grounds that their leads were too old. Leads were too old. Yeah. This is ongoing, but... Uh, as of 2017, there were a bunch of headlines about spam making like a trendy comeback with Posh chefs that are tapping into that fun feeling of nostalgia. <laughs> Isn't nostalgia great? I love I love nostalgia. <laughs> it's my favorite. Well, that's um, the end of Lauren's Killjoy Corner for now. <laughs> yes. So we we're, we still have some more science to talk about. We do, and that part's kind of great. Yes. Yay. But first, one last quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. This episode is brought to you by Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express Card. And we are what you might call food explorers. We are so lucky that a part of our job involves traveling and trying a lot of the food where we go to travel and then coming back here and telling all of you good listeners about it. And through that, we have discovered some amazing dishes. Sure, yes. Like, I had never understood what poke really could be, and it is delightful. It is stunningly good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
which we had a lot of on our trip to Hawaii. Uh, another thing from their passion fruit, I now look for in literally every menu that I read. I'm like, yep, that one has passion fruit. I'm going for it. And then all of the moles, and especially the green mole that you heard us talk about recently that we had from in Las Vegas. In Vegas, yeah. Oh, or just steak basements. Who doesn't love a steak basement? Exactly. <laughs> well, um, if you are like us and you're willing to travel to seek out new foods to try, you go with the Delta Sky Miles Platinum American Express card. It's for people who, like us, are in search of the next food adventure. If you travel, you know. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great? At any age, every age. That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Um, So... Spam, for all of those other things that I just said, is an amazing edible science experiment. In order to create a stable loaf cheaply and consistently, you, as Annie said earlier, mix the meat in a vacuum, vacuum seal it into cans, and then you cook the whole cans. Wait, you cook it in the can? You cook it in the can. Oh, wow, really? Yeah, yeah. Um, otherwise, the meat, if you don't do it in, in, in that way, the meat will break down during cooking and you're left with just this small loaf and a lot of like juice and or gelatin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but before you even get there, you've got to find a way to prepare the meat. Uh, Spam uses shoulder meat mixed with a little buttock slash thigh meat that might be cured and flavored, otherwise known as ham. Yeah. The shoulder meat is inexpensive because it's such a pain in the ham to debone. <laughs> um, Hormel does it by putting the shoulders through a hydraulic press. It squeezes the meat off the bone. Ooh. The meat is ground and measured for fat consistency, then mixed with the other ingredients in thousand-pound batches. Cannot comprehend. Nope. <laughs> uh, the cans are then cooked in a hydrostatic cooker, which is, it's so cool. Uh, or it's hot first, but then cool. Um, uh, it consists of at least four towers that are stacked vertically and kind of bring cans up and then down. In, in this sort of like like half loop. Okay, so so you've got four towers at least. You've got a steam tower that holds pressurized, saturated steam at the temperature that you want to cook the, the cans at. Then you've got two warm water-filled towers on either end of the steam tower, which brings your cans up near to cooking temperature and then back down out of it. And also, this is the cool part, keeps the steam tower pressurized at the same time. Physics! Ah! <laughs> Then you've got a cooling tower that uses uh, cool water sprays to bring the cans safely back to, like, processing temperature. 
Setups can also have a preheating and multiple cooking and cooling towers or sections. And I'm not totally positive what Hormel uses. It says their setup has 11 chambers that the cans move vertically through, with the whole thing being six stories tall and capable of processing 66,000 cans over the span of two hours. Mm. <laughs> My brain. <laughs> I don't know how much more it can take, Lauren. After after it comes uh, out of that process, the cans are labeled, packed, and eventually shipped out. That is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, this this is another this is another episode that I was like, oh, oh, this is oh, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if I can buy that product anymore. Yeah, but I really want to try Locomoco. This is the challenge. This, yeah, I wonder if there's a different. I mean, there there are plenty. There are definitely plenty of uh, like canned meat products out there. It's it's all about I mean you know find, finding someone that does something more more ethically hopefully uh, and I, I guess that's kind of like the like slightly feel good takeaway lesson of this like when something is that cheap there is a cost somewhere yes to someone yeah and so our uh, coworker Ben Bolin wrote an excellent short story it's published somewhere. I can't recall where, but it, I think it's some Southern writing magazine. Oh, cool. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, I just remember it so well because um, it was all about a consumer just reaching for an orange. But he was telling it based on like the consumers reaching for the orange. And then it was sort of the, what went into getting that oh, orange wow. to you. Uh-huh. And it, he was describing just like the, the working conditions and the death that it took to. And you were making a choice based on price. But on the other side of it, there's all there's of this all of stuff. This. Yeah. And it stuck with me. I read it years ago, and I still think about oh, it. Oh, wow. It's very good. Um, maybe maybe we can ask him, and we can post it somewhere. Yeah, we'll see about that. And before we close out this episode, I have two notes, Lauren. Okay. Okay, the first is, mid-episode, we had kind of a, a crisis, a foodstuff crisis, where we realized we're not entirely sure how to pronounce Hormel. Yeah, I thought that I read somewhere during our research that it's Hormel. Mm-hmm. And wait, am I still saying that the same way? I think you said Hormel. Hormel. Yeah. Yeah. But we've been saying Hormel. Anyway, we we, we recovered and soldiered on because we found no evidence to suggest otherwise. But we did have a mini crisis. Yeah. And um, the other thing is, I uh, another mini crisis I realized is we should have introduced ourselves with spam names. <laughs> and I'm not willing to go back and re-record the intro, but I should have said Lauren Vogel spam. <laughs> My name doesn't really lend itself as well, but <laughs> spammy Reese. Spammy. <laughs> Yes. Okay. Oh, okay. I, I can dig it. I sure. Can, I can dig it. Okay. So that is the end of our spam episode. And it brings us to listener mail. <laughs> we really have no idea. We don't plan any of that. That one got weird. Okay. It did. <laughs> so you have one from Twitter, correct? Yeah. Annie Dodal, which is also a high fives for your screen name, um, wrote in about our Star Trek episode and said, I loved this, but can we really know that replicator food is ethical? Where does dilithium come from? How are conditions for the workers who produce it? Certainly in the Klingon Empire, it is sometimes mined by prisoners. No way the Federation doesn't use any prisoner dilithium. We didn't think about that, Lauren. We did not, but thank you. Uh, it brought us anecdotal. so much joy. Yes, that was the best tweet. Thank you. <laughs> um, and also about our Star Trek episode, thanks to everyone who reminded us about an iconic Star Trek food slash really drink that we missed. Roctagino, <laughs> which is a popular Klingon coffee drink. It was in our notes, but um, yeah. it, in our excitement, I guess we skipped over it. So not Kapla, Lauren. 
bad kapla. <laughs> I let that be a lesson to us all. Yes, not kapla. And also, one final Star Trek note. Thanks to listener Hillary for sending us images of the Star Trek beer labels her husband designed. Yeah. They're fantastic. So fantastic. Beautiful. I, I believe she posted them on our Facebook page. I think so, yeah. It may be within our post about the episode. So you can go find that if you would like to. Right. They're gorgeous. They are. All right. On to some email correspondences we've received. Sarah wrote in about our Lunar New Year episode. Obviously, New Year traditions are different in each Chinese household, but generally in the North, people eat dumplings, jiaozi, and in the South, rice cakes, nian gao, and sticky rice balls, yuan jiao or tang yuan, aka sweet rice dumplings, usually stuffed with red bean paste, black sesame paste, or peanut paste. Mm. This is largely due to the agricultural layout of China. Because of soil and climate difference with the Huai River as a dividing line, the main starchy crop of the northern part of China is wheat, while the southern part is rice. I believe we talked about this in our rice episode. Oh, yeah. Hence, northern culture prefers doughy foods, noodles, buns, pancakes, etc., while the southern prefers rice products, rice noodles, rice cakes, etc. The town I grew up in is right on the bank of the Hawaii River, so we do both. Ah. But my father's side of the family is from the northwest, so we take our doughy foods very seriously. And I mean very. (laughs) Everyone in my family has their own rolling pin used for rolling out the dumpling wraps from a rope of dough. When a baby is born, he or she gets her own rolling pin made right then. Ah. And as soon as he or she is old enough, he or she can participate in the family dumpling-making tradition of New Year's Eve. One was made for me when I was born, and it's been with me the whole time growing up, then later across the Pacific to a new country. I went to grad school in Syracuse and now live and work in Manhattan, and the rolling pin goes wherever I go. It is now here with me in my kitchen. I haven't been home for New Year's celebration for five years, but every year my family and I Skype while we make dumplings, each with our own rolling pin. My dad produces dumpling wraps at the speed of a pasta machine. (laughs) I wish I had a video clip to show you. I don't, but attach our photos to show my parents' dumpling effort this past Chinese New Year. The picture, by the way, so many dumplings. (laughs) They look so good. Yes. I've been in the U.S. for almost five years, and I host an orphan's dinner every year with some classmates and friends who are just like me, away from home, trying to build a life of our own in a different country. Because, very much like Christmas, this holiday is about the feast, the decorations, the sales, the gifts, the grand celebration, but most importantly, it's about people we love, and no one should be alone, no matter where they are. Oh. Yes, I love that. It's so so sweet. Oh, that is. And that's so that's such a great cultural note. Oh, thank you so much for sending that in. Yes, thank you. Yeah. Um Anne also wrote in a recent listener mail, another listener mentioned going abroad and enjoying a sauce made of mayonnaise and ketchup that the restaurant called America sauce. I was very surprised to learn that this is actually not something that all of America does. Nope. Ah. Oh. I am a child of the military, and even though I am American, from the age of three all the way up until 16, I lived in Europe because of my dad's job. At the age of 16, I moved to Utah and have lived there ever since. It's been about 12 years now. When I moved to Utah, I saw this strange pink sauce as well, and everyone there seemed to know what it was. It, in fact, was even bottled and sold in some stores there. It was ketchup and mayonnaise mixed together, and it was known as fry sauce. It's in pretty much every local restaurant in the area. People generally make it at home, and some restaurants even add extra things like pickle juice and lemon to give it a tangy flavor. 
Fry sauce is a staple here in Utah, and from what I understand, it's pretty prevalent in the surrounding states such as Idaho and Wyoming. Even though I've lived in the United States for 12 years now, I'm still learning what is regional and what is something that persists throughout all of the United States. Just goes to show you how vast this country is. Yes. Um, <laughs> several people wrote in about yeah. that. Uh, I, I've never hung out in Utah. No, and I think, now that I think about it, I saw some comparisons to um, Yum Yum Sauce from Benihana. Oh. I don't know if that's what it is huh. or not, but Jared also wrote in and he said... Um, but the most important part is to tell to tell you that the icon level of fry sauce is best epitomized by the fact that the 2002 Winter Games in Salt Lake City, one of the tradable Olympic pins was a depiction of fry sauce. What? Yes, I want one of these so badly. Oh, that's great. And another one, another of these tradable Olympic pins, which I didn't know that was a thing, oh, yeah. um, is green jello with carrots. Oh, yeah. That's great. Yeah. Um, Weird, but great. I know, isn't it? I do. It's kind of cool that there are these regional things that I guess. Yeah, that we just never heard about. I know. Thank you so much for yeah. letting us know. Um, uh, Jacob also wrote in and Heather wrote in. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thank you to everyone who wrote in. And you too can write to us. Our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at foodstuffhsw. Stands for How Stuff Works. We're also on Instagram at foodstuff. We hope so much to hear from you. Uh, thank you to our producer, Dylan Fagan. Thanks to y'all for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. There's plenty to celebrate in March, and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Ready to unlock a world of entertainment? Philips Roku TV has America's favorite TV streaming platform built in. So you can watch live TV, catch every game, discover must-see shows and hit movies, and get all the best streaming apps in one place, like iHeart, for all your favorite music, radio, and podcasts. Watch what you want, when you want. Immerse yourself in entertainment with premium 4K picture and sound for every budget, with sizes for every room. Find your perfect Philips Roku TV today, online or at your local Walmart and Sam's Club.